Dear listeners, welcome to the Data Frontiers podcast. I'm your host, Valentine Gandhi. In this podcast series, we will explore how new data technologies are being used to address some of the most pressing issues of our time, such as COVID-19, climate change, infrastructure issues, diplomacy, and education. In 2020, the UK government commissioned a study that was undertaken by NIRA's Digital Futures Hub for the Frontier Technologies Program. This was done to review the digital data landscape and identify data technologies that had the highest potential for impact and use by the FCDO as well as the wider international development community. This study was led by Matthew Shearing and I was the technical lead for the study. The full study link is available in the description below. In these exciting podcast series, we will be taking a look at some of the recommendations raised in this report and we'll speak to thought leaders and practitioners at the front lines of implementing data technologies. And we sincerely hope our guests will inspire you to make better practical use of frontier technologies in your own work. So we look forward to having you listen into our episode. I'm very pleased to uh, say that joining us today is Her Excellency Harriet Cross, the High Commissioner of the UK to Trinidad and Tobago. Harriet has been member of Her Majesty's Diplomatic Service for 23 years. Dear Harriet, it's a pleasure to have you with us uh, today in the studio. Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you so much. Um as uh, to begin our conversation uh, can you tell us briefly about your exposure to uh, data science and emerging tools i mean as a diplomat you are in the forefront of things that happen on behalf of the uk government in the country that you posted uh, so how did you get into this conversation about using emerging frontier data techniques whether it's big data or ai or any of the tools that uh, interest you maybe you can give us a brief introduction to your interest area in this Yeah, I think uh, as a diplomat I think I'd always always used data one way or another in my work um particularly when I was at the UK mission to the UN when we were running um resolutions on various different issues it's really important actually to have the data on things like that for example we ran the uh, the anti death penalty resolution and 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 data in a in a situation like that is really really important to back up your arguments for example um but I think I've never been a somebody who has commissioned data for example or have or somebody who thought okay i've got this problem or challenge in front of me how can data help me solve this problem um and the, as the foreign and commonwealth office has recently merged with department for international development and become the fcdo um there's a lot of change happening in the organization and we're also looking to um to take what we can from other our uh so for example the foreign office wants to take some of the the specialization from difid and help former foreign office diplomats be as skilled in data as as difid uh, experts um former difid experts are so there was an offer of a um a, what was called a number 10 data masterclass for senior leaders and that was offered out and that people could apply to be part of that um so it just it just caught my eye partly because it was outside of my comfort zone and i thought this is something that i don't uh, I'm not very fluent in at the moment so I got a place on that course and much to my surprise I absolutely loved the course it was really well put together 
Um, it was interesting. I would I would do one module and I would really be really excited to get back to do the next module, which I have to say for any training course is quite unusual. But for me, for a, for a training course in data, which I'd always thought of something that was a little bit difficult and really not something that I, that would excite me. And it really kind of kicked off an interest that um, that. Uh, really, as I say, I was surprised by it. And, and it's not often that when you get to my age that you actually surprise yourself or you find a piece of learning that really excites you. So that's that's kind of where the journey started, I suppose. And it's relatively recent. This was just something that I did about four months ago. Oh, excellent. Uh, so uh, since then, uh, how have you uh, engaged in applying some of these uh, lessons that you've learned in data science so our listeners can understand uh, when uh, a diplomat is exposed to these technologies, how can they apply? And in, in applying that, uh, what were some of the challenges or opportunities that you didn't see before the course that you can see now? Yeah, I think the, the areas that, um, that I've, I, I realized that data was applicable to, it's not, it's not just about having numbers in order to better make an argument. Um, because again, as we were taught, data is not just numbers, it can be all sorts of different things. And, it, and, and actually the way that data is presented is half of the, the challenge. Um, and as I think you referred to at the beginning, um, the you know, COVID-19 has really made us all a bit more fluent in data because we're seeing these figures that are very meaningful come, come across our newsfeed all the time. Uh, and so I think actually being, being within the COVID-19 pandemic has also been part of this um, learning journey for me on the use of data, because I'll see, I'll, I'll see one panel on um, COVID-19 statistics, and I'll think, that doesn't give me enough information about, is, you know, is COVID going up, and, up or down in the location that I'm in? Um, or, and how does it relate to the size of the population? Because yes, that figure may look large, but actually if it's an enormous population, then that's actually quite a low percentage of that population. So I think um, interpreting data, I think it would be my starting point in terms of what I've done differently. I've kind of interrogated the data a bit more rather than just taking it on face value that, yeah, there's a number. It appears to be telling me that this is a, a large number and that I should be worried. Um, but actually, um, the course taught me that, is, is, is that actually because, you know, there's this, there's, there's uh, lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. So I think that uh, that has helped me understand um, and, and present data a bit more effectively. So when people are asking me, I'm, I'm currently in Trinidad and Tobago, what does, you know, people are, what are, what are COVID rates there like? Um, I feel like when I send that information back to London, I'm a lot more careful about how it's presented, how it's contextualized, um, and how easily accessible it is to people who are not experts in either Trinidad and Tobago or COVID-19 or data. So I'd say that was my starting point. Um, I think secondly, um, as a diplomat, you're, you're often really a storyteller. Um, you, you, you're a, um, you know, this whole question of soft power and, and public diplomacy being a big part of what we do. And so I think I'm spending more time thinking about when I'm telling a story, which might be about today is the, the um, global day of trans visibility, for example. So and, and the UK has got a good story to tell on LGBTQ rights and the work we do domestically and globally on that issue. So for me, on the first off, that, that, that for me is a is a is a 
uh, a story that I would normally tell in words about what the UK is doing globally and words and pictures. So now I'm thinking, okay, how can I bring data into the story I'm telling about um, promotion of the rights of LGBTQ people around the world? So, um, and when we, when we finish this conversation, I'm going to go away and I'm going to, um, in addition to the human stories that I've shared on social media on this issue, I'll go back and make sure that I add some hard data into that, partly because it's more persuasive, but partly I recognize that there are some people who just like their information in a form that includes hard data. Some people like the, the softer, I just, want to, I just want to hear somebody talking about this issue. Um, so that's part of it. Um, and then I'd say, um, finally, um, I'm also looking at how we can use data to improve our processes kind of internally. So as, a, as an ambassador, you've got an outward facing role and inward facing role. And some of it's kind of super exciting and kind of sexy. And you're sort of talking about these really hard, hardcore issues. But equally importantly, frankly, you're looking at how is my carpool running in the High Commission? Um, are we using money effectively? Are we using taxpayers' money effectively? Is there any wastage? So I would like increasingly to use data and to compare data across High Commission. So one thing we did uh, on the course was to look at the NHS model hospital, which um, allowed different hospitals to kind of monitor their performance against um, hospitals that were seen to be uh, using resources very effectively, doing operations in such a way that had better outcomes than others, and using data to interrogate why they, they were the leading um, hospital in different areas. Um, so, as I say, use of, use of fuel in, in, in embassy cars, okay, it's, it's a genuinely serious issue because it fits into our climate objectives and climate challenges, and we can't just tell other countries you've got to do better. If at a very micro-local level we can use petrol more effectively, then we're, then, then we're contributing to the greater, greater whole and putting our money where our mouth is. So I'd like to think, how can, how can I compare data with a high commission or an embassy of a similar size to mine with similar factors and say, okay, they, they're using fuel differently. What does that mean? And how can I change the way I do things? I'm pretty sure our FCDO colleagues or data science experts who are listening to it will reach out to you because these are excellent examples of both at the macro and micro level, how data science can help you, not only in outward facing roles uh, or the things that you have to do as an ambassador, as a high commissioner, but also even to manage your uh, in a high commission and on a, on a daily decision uh, basis. Just to follow on, you mentioned social media. Uh, some of the uh, ways in which emerging data is, uh, is used is uh, quick information and also from sources that are originally not intended for a particular purpose, let's say Twitter or Facebook. And these are not collected, let's say, to manage a project or manage an intervention, but you still use them and adapt them. Uh, as a high commissioner, how much uh, would you say you can rely on these sources or uh, would you trust the sources, let's say, sentiment analysis of a particular project's uh, view in Trinidad and Tobago? Or maybe you're introducing, or the British High Commission is introducing a project and you want to track the people's emotions or the sentiments and what they're saying in the internet about a particular project. But uh, how would you, uh, as, a, as an ambassador, rely uh, and use such data? And, and what do you think should be done to ensure that uh, this data is actually useful for someone in your capacity? Yeah, um, so I guess I've got two, uh, two tracks to the answer to that. One is that we need to be educated, not just diplomats, frankly, but anybody who uses social media needs to be educated about uh, the, 
the challenges and difficulties of taking at face value some of the data or information that you find on social media that other people are feeding you that maybe appears to come from a reliable source but actually isn't so i think that's the first that's the first part of the question to be um to be not, I mean, I don't think suspicious is the word necessarily, but to, um, in, in any other way that you, when you read a newspaper, you're, you're, you've got some certain assumptions that that information is credible and has been checked. And, and you're quite right to think that. But I think if you assume the same thing when you're reading snippets of information on, on, a, on, on a Twitter feed, you, you don't have the same confidence. And so people need to recognize that and not get too comfortable with the data that they get from their Twitter feed. Um, but secondly, um, I think actually using social media to monitor and evaluate um, in quite a scientific way um, activities that we do is, is really quite exciting. So, um, and, and as I say, I'm less of a sort of hardcore project person, so I'll sort of slightly put that aside. But for example, say um, we're, off, we're often asked, do you, less so now in COVID, but um, would you like a ministerial visit? Would, would it be helpful for you to have, for example, um, the, the president of COP26 coming to visit Trinidad and Tobago? Um, uh, do you, how about somebody who came to talk about um, trade, one of, one of the um, trade ministers? And so you kind of make an assessment, oh yeah, I think that person could usefully do X, Y, or Z. Um, but then if you could evaluate a little bit more scientifically what the impact of that visit was, and, and frankly, we do care about what social media says, because it is quite a good reflection of people's kind of immediate response to something. So if we could gather that information, and I know, and I don't know it's possible, um, but, but, but I, actually my team don't yet have the tools to be able to do this in, in country. Um, what, what were people saying about that, that particular visit? Was it positive or was it negative? Did, did the opinions of people change as a result of that visit? So was it worthwhile doing? Um, and you, know, you can take particular words and get a sense of whether um, people were talking about it in a, in a good way. Um, so I think that's definitely worth doing. And I think it's something that we should get in, into the habit of doing, even again, on a micro level, if I, um, uh, if I decide to get behind a particular campaign or um, do a project with the um, TT police force, um, how, how is that viewed? Is it, is it, and is it generating additional ideas? That's also something that's really important to me. Um, of course, projects need to be sustainable, but if they can kick off other things and empower other people to do things, then that's also um, a measure of success. So again, I'd like to be able to interrogate social media. Um, and I think it's relatively easy. Um, and actually, this is an example of something that I have kicked off. I've, I've asked our our kind of social media and communications leads within the region to provide some training, not just for our social media experts, but for um, high commissioners and senior leaders who can then, so they know what to ask for. So that's always a challenge that the data capability might be there, but nobody's asked, no, nobody's asked that sort of junior person to gather that information and to present it in a way that that senior leader will use for um, kind of bigger picture, more strategic purposes. So I think teaching senior leaders how to ask for data that's very easily out there is, is definitely something that needs to happen um, in a more, uh, you know, it, need, it needs to be part of every training course that we do as a senior leader, and, and we're not quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, something related to what you're just saying, um, often uh, technologies, at least in the ones that I worked in and I, I read around with my colleagues, uh, technologies fail to have an uptake or adoption, largely because it's, uh, it's presented as a silver bullet or as a hammer looking for a nail kind of a, 
uh, or a problem or a solution looking for a problem kind of a situation. And you've just demonstrated with the, the list of case studies and problems that can be solved uh, in just this conversation. And it kind of proves what I've always believed that uh, data science or emerging technology should be led by people who are out there in the field, development professionals, diplomat and executives who deal with uh, human development issues and who can actually bring it. And some of the best data scientists I know are usually just using someone to click on a particular ad. They use their bright minds rather than solving uh, major problems. I mean, if you take one of these major companies, the best minds are sitting there and making sure you click on a YouTube link rather than you know solving the problems that you just listed. Uh, to that effect, uh, the British government uh, is also doing like with the data science campus. Uh, yesterday, we spoke to our colleagues there and on what they're doing to reach out the aisle. You just mentioned a few examples. And then I, I recently, uh, Julia just shared a link about the civil service data challenge. So these are starting to happen. Uh, but uh, knowing what we've discussed so far and knowing what you know in data science, uh, can you give some suggestions on people who organize these reaching across the aisle, whether it's a workshop or a masterclass or even data challenges, what are some of the things they can do? Maybe a couple of points on to ensure that they really reach out to those who are dealing with real world, real world problems uh, from uh, and how the technology can solve them. What can they do to reach across the aisle? I guess first I would say, assume that the knowledge is is basic. I think sometimes that's the that's the challenge that um, if, if data experts speak to generalists um, and they make too many assumptions about what you already understand, and senior, occasionally senior people will not want to expose their uh, lack of knowledge. So they might just be like, yeah, 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 that all sounds good. And then they don't engage and come back and you think, oh, that's because they weren't interested. But actually, maybe it's because they didn't actually understand the technology or the capability there. So I think kind of, you know, data, data science for idiots is the, is the way forward. And I'm you know, speak, speaking on my own behalf as to when, when you're speaking to um, senior leaders. Um, I mean, there are some people who are very fluent in data and I'm, I'm not one of them. Um, so, you know, go, go slowly. Um, and I think uh, all, all, always when, because every, so as a high commission, we've got a, 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 what we call a country plan, a country business plan, setting out our goals and objectives. So as a data person, if you come in and say, look, you're going to be better able to achieve this if way over here, we, we, we do this and you sort of set out the path for how that connects to achieving that big, bigger goal. Um, and that's, you know, that's, it's, it's a conversation and a, and a dialogue and you should, you should feel that you're, you know, you can have collaborative conversations where you say, okay, this is a capability. I don't know how it's gonna be able to achieve that goal, but maybe you as senior leader do. So let's talk, let's talk about it. So um, feeling, feeling bold enough to make those suggestions is also really important. Um, and not not to even if other people are labeling you as oh that's 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 just the data expert um you know make sure that people understand that that you are a lot more than that and that you can you can be part of solving bigger bigger problems um i uh, on the on the course something that really caught my eye there was a um a, an example of where um in taxpayers in a particular area had been sent a letter that said, you know, seven out of 10 taxpayers in your region have paid their tax on time. You are one of one of three not to have done so. It was that, it was that sort of thing. Um, and apparently it was re psychologically really effective and it really had made a big difference. 
And, and, and so then I, I thought, wow, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do as a British government at the moment is get countries to provide more ambitious um, NDCs, nationally determined contributions to climate change. Um, and I could just see, you know, could we put together a less crude version of seven out of 10 countries in your region have put forward uh, more ambitious NDCs? You are one of the few not to have done so. You know, could, how, how can data experts help us to get to a stage when we could do something like that and replicate a really successful data gathering and communication uh, experiment and do it on a bigger diplomatic scale. I'd love to see that. And, and, and that is a perfect example of where you need the diplomats and the data scientists to work together to create that, that, um, that model. Arid, this has been truly inspiring and I'm sure our colleagues in FCDO and other data scientists listening to this will uh, certainly reach out to you and you've just perhaps recharged their brain cells on how it can be put to use, some of which they themselves sometimes uh, are not thinking about. And so it's been a really great pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us in our studio today. My pleasure. Nice to talk to you, Val, and good luck with the rest of the project. Dear listeners, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Data Frontier podcast. If you wish to learn more about the work of our guests, please check out the links in the description. I would also encourage you to check out the full Frontier Data Study, which can also be found in the link below. This podcast is funded by the FCDO, and I would like to thank uh, Matthew McConaughey, the podcast content lead, and many thanks to our producers, Ben Walker and David Wigerow. Please do check out our other episodes in this podcast series and get in touch with us if you wish to learn more or partner up on any projects. Contact information to reach us is also in the description. Thanks so much for listening and have a great evening or day wherever in the part of the world that you're joining us from. Thank you.